0: Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer, and in today's show in association with LexisNexis Risk Solutions, we are going to be asking, is the future of AML and fighting financial crime about investing in people, or is it about investing in automation? With the current climate of economic downturns, global conflict, and international sanctions, you would be right in thinking the job of fighting financial crime has never been tougher. But there are many people out there working hard to keep ahead of the baddies and keep your finances safe but is it the answer is better equipping humans to spot the signs of financial crime or creating more sophisticated systems through machine learning So today's show, we've put together a panel of experts to discuss what the current landscape is today for fighting financial crime, what are the challenges both internal and external for financial services providers in this space, and can a orchestrated approach solve these challenges? We'll discuss all of this and more in today's show, but before this, a few quick brief messages, so don't go anywhere.
1: So we're going to go out on a limb here and assume that you're enjoying this podcast. We're also going to assume that you're a fintech nerd like us and that our podcasts, live events, video series and documentaries keep you tapped into everything that's happening across fintech and connected to the fintech community. So if you're interested in creating content with us that informs and entertains, then you should chat to our media team and get in touch on sponsors at 11fs.com. Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explores series. Weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around, such as On Rampy, Buy Now, Pay Later, The Cost of Living, ESG, Stablecoins, Telematics Insurance, and Inclusive Design. Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now.
0: Okay, Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed a bit more light on this subject. Uh, first off, we have a FinTech Insider debut for Eddie Vaughan, who is the sales director at LexisNexis Risk Solutions.
2: Can you give us a quick overview of, of what you do, Eddie? Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Uh, so, top level LexisNexis Risk Solutions. We're a global data analytics company that provides data and technology services, predictive insights, and fraud prevention for a wide range of industries and we use that power of data and advanced analytics to help our customers make better timelier risk decisions while enhancing operational efficiency so as that stable global partner we're committed to continuous improvement uh, and we're recognized as an industry leader in the risk and compliance space Uh, we're one of the largest global providers of compliance risk solutions. And those solutions are relied upon and trusted upon by 25 of the FTSE 100 and 10 out of 10 of the top UK banks.
0: Very cool. All the tough questions coming your way then, Eddie, in uh, in that sense, which is, which is good. Uh, next up, we have uh, another debut for Dan Argent, who is the head of financial crime and money laundering reporting officer at GB Bank. Welcome to the show, Dan. How are you doing? Very good, and thanks for having me. No worries at all. Tell us a little bit more about GB Bank.
3: So we are uh, one of the UK's newest banks, having been granted our full licence over the summer this year. We are a specialist lender, Uh, so we deliver bespoke, lended solutions to SMEs in the regions to drive economic growth. And we
0: provide competitive saving products to retail individual customers. Very, very cool. Uh, And finally, an absolutely warm welcome to Jess Kath, who is the head of financial crime project delivery at Fintrail. Uh, I mean, I I don't feel like it's a debut for you guys because Fintrail's been on the show a bunch of times before, but for for anybody who doesn't know what you guys do, uh, give them a little bit of a reminder.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, lovely to be back. We've been on a a couple of times before. So Finch is an anti-financial crime consultancy, primarily working with fintechs, but also with traditional institutions, regtechs, loads of people in the regulated sphere. Um, So I head up the core consulting team, sort of delivering a whole range of projects to solve all the anti-financial crime challenges. So yeah, really looking forward to the conversation today.
0: Very cool. Welcome to the show. Uh, great to have you all on. Let's dive into the topic. Uh, maybe if we start off by looking at really where we are today. How actually is fin crime going? You know, is the fight against it working in that sense? Um, who wants to sort of pitch in in that? If you had to summarise the current fight against financial crime in, in, in one sentence, maybe Dan, do you want to get us going with that one? Is this working?
3: I think it's safe to say that it always has been, always will be a challenge. Uh, I think the ways and means which criminals utilise um, to money launder, fund terrorism, commit fraud is always evolving. The pandemic's prompted significant changes in this. We're seeing more digitization, less face-to-face transactions. So it's, uh, it's providing ongoing challenges all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, fraudsters pretty innovative, like you say in that sense. So they're they're always going to be a couple of steps ahead in in that way. But Eddie, what, how about you? What do you think? Uh, in in one sentence,
2: is this working or not? Uh, I'm I'm not sure I can do it in one sentence. Let's maybe go for one paragraph. So I'm going to start and say yes, but and there's always a but or or a however. You know that fight against financial crime we all recognise is is ever evolving, both in terms of risk so that's essentially and to dan's point the modus operandi of how criminals operate as well as that ever changing regulatory landscape and it's it's those changes in collaboration with our customers that are at the forefront of of how we design and implement and deliver those solutions to the market that enables those challenges to be met. And that's multifaceted. You know, we only now have to look at the whole range of predicate offences uh, from a regulation perspective that, that come in with anti-money laundering. So there are huge challenges, but as an industry, um, we are certainly working towards that. I think one element maybe we want to discuss later on is, is, is far better collaboration. So information sharing between uh, regulated entities to combat financial crime risk. That wasn't a sentence, was it? That was a paragraph. probably well, I mean, probably two it paragraphs. could have been a long sentence, depending on your spelling and
0: grammar, I guess, <laughs> in that sense. But but, uh, Jess, what do you think? Uh, is this working? Are we, are we making
4: inroads? I mean, I can only agree with what's been said. Um, I mean, it keeps me in a job, for starters, because there's so much still to do. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, I... I personally think a lot of the parts of the anti-financial crime framework are slightly broken. And that does come down to not being able to information share and collaborate as much as we need to do. Um, And again, all the typologies are changing. Yesterday, we had the City of London Police come out with um, a whole awareness campaign around new investment scams and the huge increase we've got there. It's always changing. And we really need to make sure that we're on top of it. But not being able to collaborate and share information as much as we need to really means that we can't there's only a limit to, to what we can do within our own institutions. So, Dan, you're limited compared to what the whole institution and the whole framework needs to be able to do.
0: Yeah. And to that point, I guess, you know, this is never going to be done, right? There's, this is not a, a war that we will, you know, stand victorious and win and then it's done because the landscape is changing so so quickly. The the risks for, for customers, the risks for organizations are changing every day in that sense, isn't it? But I mean, one thing that um, I think, you know, many... Uh, sort of outlets have, have sort of reported on before this is not something that the the big banks are, are kind of taking lightly and, and while big banks spending money on something doesn't necessarily mean that they're solving it then you know reported 30 billion is being spent on aml regulation with three quarters of that going on people and a quarter of it going on tech i mean clearly the big organizations are seeing this as a as a problem that they need to do something about right eddie i don't know if you want to jump in on that one
2: yeah absolutely and i think you know framing that 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 thirty billion um around the challenge is is, is incredibly compelling so we've done a uh at lex next we done a study um around the cutting the cost of a m l compliance and and you outlined some of those stats there uh, i think the key thing that that we're observing is is that spending people versus technology justified um I think that's a really strong discussion point and something topical that we have with our customers on a constant basis as to how they deliver that in terms of their internal strategies, be that people in technology. Um, we know everything is evolving at a rapid pace, but that agility and actually how much investment in people is too much versus what is the right investment of technology, that, that's the key thing for us really.
0: Yeah, I think your, your point on the right spend in that, uh, you know, back to my point a second ago, I've seen a lot of banks spend a lot of money, but it doesn't mean that they're spending it correctly to resolve the, the issue in that way. You know, there was unnamed one bank uh, recently spending $7 billion on their technology estate, uh, a big US bank, and it's like, it doesn't mean they're solving the problem, it just means they're spending a lot of money in that way. So, you know, how how do you get down to that point of, well, really fundamentally understanding the problem as you say the the real challenges that they actually have uh, and therefore resolving it because you know we, we're we talking about regulation we're talking about structuring of data we're talking about you know everyday fraud um, there's a lot of complexity
2: in here for the big organizations isn't there yeah and there's a huge amount of complexity and a lot of that from a technology perspective can be anchored in perhaps some of the, the legacy technology systems that they use. So moving towards a more digital and automated approach for many can be challenging. Uh, and actually the easiest thing to do is, is to throw people at a problem. Um, investment in technology is absolutely where we see the market moving towards, but it's not the only investment. It's very much a synergy between people and technology. So technology enables us to make the right decision so orchestration enables us to get to the outcome um, and the investment in people needs to be around enabling those individuals to look at the highest risk cases that need to be addressed that needs that human factor so hand in glove technology and people um, work exceptionally well um, but if you over invest in one versus the other um, then there is a problem yeah
0: Jess, uh, how are you seeing this with with your clients and the people you're working with? Is uh, does that investment uh, split seem sort of quite consistent with what you're seeing with you within the people you're working with?
4: Yeah, Eddie's right. The easiest thing to do is throw people at a problem, and sometimes throwing people at a problem that needs to be dealt with immediately might actually be the right thing to do. If you've got a huge backlog and the regulators telling you, you need to do this immediately. Sometimes getting people in to do something is is a good first option. But we do need to start looking at um, how we incorporate technology into this. But it's more around how do we get the business on board with the cultural change required to start implementing technologies and also establishing when it's the right point in time for you to start implementing technologies? Because if you don't have your data in order, um, you don't have the cultural buy-in, um, you might be implementing technologies in a way that don't actually produce useful outcomes. Um, so you need to make sure there are other things in place and you've had those internal discussions so that when you start implementing technology, you can actually move forward instead of it being a, a waste of money as well.
0: Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. And as you say, it's uh, particularly if the the way in which something is done is is actually perpetuating the problem rather than solving the problem, then uh, more people leads to more problems, doesn't it, as uh, slightly bastardized, biggie uh, lyrics there, but uh, you, you get the intent in that sense. But, uh, I mean, Dan, what, what do you think? There's a there's a number of, in- we've talked about the internal things here, you know, we've talked about the technology and organizations, we've talked about the the talent and the, the sort of evolutionary sense, but there's a huge amount of external factors in that as well. I mean, summarize for us a little bit of uh, some of those because, I mean, as Jess sort of referred to around some of the regulatory things, there's sort of slightly out of your hands, although there's always conversations with the regulator to to shape those for for industry to a certain degree but lots of change happening globally in that sense or even locally from a uk perspective that really affect how you can do your job on a on a day-to-day basis
3: yeah you're right i think um as a new fintech challenger bank we're in a fortunate position uh, with regards to implementing technology now our data structures ho- hopefully set up for future success but um with response to the external environment, we've got increased regulatory focus on financial crime. The FCA has, has not been shy about that with their DCO letter last year, with their um, review of challenger banks or financial crime, crime controls at challenger banks released earlier this year. You know, it, it gives us an opportunity to benchmark um, as a new organisation, are we doing the right things that we hope to set out to do, but also where other banks are unfortunately failing. Are we ensuring we're not falling foul to that? Um, <clears throat> sanctions is a big one at the moment with, um, <clears throat> with the war in Ukraine and, and sanctions placed upon Russia by, yeah, off and OFAC in particular, moving at pace is continually changing. I think that's where technology can enable quicker decision making, faster response and uh, hopefully increased efficiencies. Um, in response to the regulatory environment changing,
0: yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? With all of those external factors, it's uh, I sort of long for the day we just sort of talked about Brexit every week. You know, what I mean, it's like just all of the different things that are, are happening in that sense, and the the impact that has on the provision of service in a uh, in a way. Uh, I mean, I, I guess a lot of what we've we've talked about in this first part is is that complexity. Um, you know, Jess, you know, you touched on a little bit here about the the dynamic between you know, new technology and the new culture that is required to, to really unlock that potential. So, I mean, how could you see the sort of investment in technology helping to sort of solve for both of these dy- dynamics in that way? Because as we sort of touched on, this isn't just about doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. This, this has to be a, a change in the way in which organizations structure themselves to, to fight with these problems.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think when we speak to our clients, it's often really easy for financial crime professionals, whether or not it's the MLRO like Dan, it's really easy to see what the benefit of some of these new technologies would have. So Dan might look at a tool and think, this is great because I can spot so many things or I can look at these patterns and it's going to make my job so much easier. Uh, but a lot of the business um, in terms of going out and getting the money to, to pay for these tools and you need to have all those internal conversations why would you spend on a financial crime tool when perhaps the revenue generating part of the business might say, actually, we need something else uh, instead? So making sure that you're demonstrating to other parts of the business the value of that tool beyond just a financial crime tool there are lots of other things that you could start to bring into play here. It's really, really important when you're going to have those internal conversations and demonstrating what the, the benefits are of tools beyond just anti-financial crime prevention. And perhaps we can come on to those a little bit later. But there's loads and loads of good stuff that we can use these tools for beyond the immediate task.
0: Yeah. And and I guess from a, an investment angle perspective, then you know, accentuating those broad benefits of those things within an organization outside of the monolithic silos that typically they'd implement them into, you know, that gives a much broader benefit, much greater ROI for the organization in that sense. But, I mean, Eddie, this is something that you guys must be facing into daily in that sense, in terms of the, you know, the more broad challenges with regards to how FS players really sort of face into these problems. Because, you know, whether we're talking about the you know, cleansing required around data sets or, you know, how these things are implemented in the first place. I mean, what is it that's sort of holding these organizations back? But are there any sort of trends that you're seeing, I guess, in terms of how people automate or digitize towards solving some of these problems that you you could sort of share at this stage as well?
2: Yeah, really interesting. So it's that crossover between the solutions that that, that we build and deliver to our customers around compliance and financial crime and the impact that those solutions have in those areas to detect and prevent those incidents. But equally, we're now a critical component of that customer experience. So, you know, if we, maybe, you know, Jess will probably, you know, remember this and I know Dan will will remember this, if we maybe rewind the clock 10, 15 years um, and we look at those, Barriers to doing business from a commercial perspective, historically, if you looked at those silos that slowed things down, okay, credit risk, fraud, AML, we had all of these back end legacy processes that might take 24 hours to make a decision, or we needed human touch points uh, to make a decision to fulfil something, an account or a loan, etc. Technology enables us to deliver that much faster in a much more controlled and automated way. And we are now seen as being part of a critical path in that customer experience. So when we talk about real-time decisioning, we have to deliver that real-time decisioning with the insight and accuracy that doesn't expose Dan as the money laundering reporting officer to elements of risk, okay, or to operate within Dan's risk appetite. So for me, that's really key. And what we actually see now is, is that crossover between Dan's world in financial crime and the commercial aspirations of a regulated entity. So that synergy there is actually not just about the protection that these solutions gives us and the insight to detect fraud, AML, counterterrorism terrorism financing, but it's also the contribution of that technology to the overall cost of acquisition. And So those conversations are actually about risk protection, cost per acquisition, and the benefits of that technology to the overall commercial aspirations of the entity. That's what we see now. The challenge in how we deliver that, historically, has been really difficult to get to because we have all of these different legacy technologies doing different things, and you try and put that overall cost of ownership together and you're going to fall off your chair trying to calculate it. And you're probably never going to get to that point of figuring out how much does all of that cost. And if I put my old hat on, maybe going back to, to when I worked in banking, and I'm not going to say the chap's name, um, but I had a CFO and he was always used to say to me, Eddie, what is the total cost of compliance? What's the cost of fraud in our business today? And I actually couldn't tell him because we had about nine different systems we had outsourced people you know we couldn't get to that point and you know one of the things that we've done with the risk narrative platform which I think we're going to talk about in terms of orchestration and what orchestration is as you know as we get down this podcast bringing all of those different processes together really enables us to get to that point so it answers Dan's question around risk protection and the benefit that's going to bring to him but it also answers those questions that our C-suite have around the overall cost of compliance.
0: Yeah, It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I know arguably you talk to any big bank and they look at a fintech, and the thing that they really admire is their ability to do things in the way that they do things. It isn't about features or functionality. It's about the the cost of serve, the cost of ownership, the, the ways in which they're structured, the ways in which they can make change happen. And so much of that is facilitated through having the right technology in place. You know, Dan, you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier on that actually you guys are a... A newly born organization, you know, in in the in the grand schemes of four hundred year old companies that you are sort of competing with in that sense. So, you know, your your legacy is very different to their legacy in terms of the technology or the culture or the thinking. Um, You know, how much do you think that's an advantage for you guys in this sense? Because you're not having to sort of show people that you know more people or more spend. Is the, probably not the the answer to these problems? You know, there's a there's a diminishing returns to how many people you get involved in things of how good the communication is, right? So, do you think that is like a key advantage for you in this in this fight? Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the
3: points that Eddie just um, mentioned are really critical to this. So it's not necessarily about <clears throat> persuading people to to divide their spend on technology or people equally or, or, or otherwise. I think it's around demonstrating how technology can help us manage risk, identify risk, get a, a more holistic view of risks by looking at various data points and and the likes, but also the efficiencies gained from technology. And if, when I say efficiencies, there's two sides of that. There's one in terms of less people doing non-value-add tasks, you know, looking at false positives, let's say, for example, uh, or delaying workflows by having to undertake manual tasks. So there's that efficiency whereby technology can automate workflows, and we'll come on to this a bit later. But there's also then, as Eddie mentioned, quicker onboarding. You know, uh, cost per acquisition then, when it's much quicker, it's less friction for the customer, so the customer has an improved customer experience. And it's more time for those involved, so financial crime teams, compliance teams, or, or whatever, to spend on critical business needs where there's real red flags or real cause for suspicion. So um, it's it's really important to get that that balance right. As a, a new organization, I think we're f- absolutely fortunate that we can pool our data together and implement new technologies uh, that hopefully set us up for future success, um, as opposed to your know, multiple different systems on on legacy platforms, where it's, it's really difficult to get a holistic view of your risk profile as, you know, MLRO for the bank. That's it's critical to my needs day in day out.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a really interesting point on efficiencies because essentially, and, and again, uh, I, I don't want to keep drawing the, uh, the the battleground here between like old banks and new banks in terms of that. Because when you say efficiencies in a big bank, what you mean is redundancies uh, in that sense, and that's really what they what they they mean in that way. You know, we're going to take people and paper out of a process in that sense. But to your point, that's still essentially the the way of thinking of digitizing the process that was there before rather than really embracing a different way of doing it. So, um, but I guess, Jess, on that point, I mean, you know, technology is by nature much more efficient at doing these things, particularly, as Dan said, you know, repetitive tasks or significantly large data sets in that sense. So, How much do you think actually this is an advantage, again, of of smaller organisations who build those those efficiencies, not inefficiencies, in from the beginning and scale them rather than having to start from a place of inefficiency and move towards it?
4: Um, I think this is an interesting point, and maybe I'm going to disagree ever so slightly because if we go into this big bank versus fintech argument, We actually work with um, a lot of larger challenger banks, but we also work with brand new startups or scale ups. Um, And actually, we're finding that fintechs are not doing it perfectly either. And whilst they do have that cultural awareness of how technology can help solve this, they don't necessarily have, you know, they don't know where to start. So, you know, Dan's in an excellent position where your data is now in the right order. But when we're working with lots of smaller firms, the data usually isn't in the right order. They don't know where to start. They usually do go ahead and hire a couple of people. And I speak to many that do their transaction monitoring completely manually. They've got people you know, having a look at their transactions. So I don't necessarily think it's useful to do that complete comparison, big bank versus fintech all the time, because fintech still has challenges. But the thing that fintech does have is that cultural um you know, awareness that technology will help solve this eventually. So once they get over that initial hurdle, they're quite quick to make those changes. Um, and they don't necessarily have legacy systems in place. It's usually that they they don't have any <laughs> systems in place and they're starting from a real interesting starting point.
0: It's funny the uh, the the legacy systems in both might end up being people in that way and in, uh, in, in where the inefficiencies are. And and quite often that is really where most of the risk sits in uh, in many of these systems. In that sense, I guess, but. Uh, Eddie, I guess is this shift towards, uh, and we've sort of all sort of, I think, violently agreeing on this, is that the shift towards the technology being a uh, essentially an enabler and an enhancer for, for people to, to do jobs better in this sense, it, it kind of feels like the... The career path sort of shifts a little bit in that sense. You know, the it has more broadly for for most things in financial services in terms of the understanding of technology being a major part in it. But but do you think the the sort of future career when it comes to what compliance officers, what people who work in this uh, th- this particular uh, part of FS, do you think that looks very different in the future because of this?
2: I do. Uh, so I wrote a slightly controversial piece of content about. I think it was about two years ago. And I think, I'm trying to remember the title, it was around kids in compliance. When I mean kids in compliance, I mean kind of experience, right? And having that maturity and outlook to deal with some of these challenges that are complex and becoming ever more complex. And you can look at maturity in two ways. So maturity around understanding risk, or is it maturity time served? And through time served, having those experiences to be able to deal with risk. So what my article was around was in the fintech space, in terms of that hiring strategy, are we hiring the right people in the right roles that enable us to manage the risk effectively? You know, so Dan's incredibly lucky, worked at a a very well-established, bank, had that mature outlook and time-served experience on dealing with these challenges and then can frame those experiences moving into a fintech to help build those processes. So therefore, you know, Dan in his role is probably unlikely to get get a need, the skills and expertise of FinTrail. He might do, just probably wants to. (laughs) So my point here is have, you know in terms of that maturity it's it's really difficult when you look at are we are we hiring the right people into the right roles in some of these challenger and fintechs that really was the point of my article but i do think the profile of financial crime professionals is evolving and it has to be not necessarily being a technologist okay so have to be able to code, absolutely not, but having an understanding of technology and how the technology infrastructure architecture can help towards you building your systems and controls. So in old money, you know, how did how did a financial crime professional learn? Well it was a book, right? And it was time bound experience. That's still important, but equally having that kind of technology element to how you operate is really, really important.
0: Yeah, I think that's a super interesting way of framing it. There's there's no shortcut to experience in that sense. Uh, and therefore, if somebody's frame of reference is going to be the limiting factor based on the decisions or the approaches that are taken, then you're always going to end up doing the same thing that you did before and expecting a different outcome. Right. Uh, and that's not a it's not a great place to be in that sense. But I mean, Jess, what, what do you think? I mean, it's an interesting one to you. Back to your point that actually the people in charge of these things negate the decisions and the directions but to your point a second ago, just because you're new doesn't mean you're going to get that right, right?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, some of the smaller clients that we work with, we've seen MLROs with two years experience, um, which when you're trying to make those kind of decisions and you've got that risk uh, assessment, you need to you need to make sure you've got that experience to deploy when you're making those assessments. That two years experience is, is really not enough. Um, but I think what's really, really interesting here is if you look at the market, the recruitment market in this space, the jobs that are really hot are the people that have a combination of data and financial crime. So I wished I'd have learned to code. I w- Maybe I will one day. I'll go back and learn how to code. Um, but at the moment, if you've got that combination of some kind of financial crime um, experience, whether or not that's in building transaction monitoring, uh, screening or anything like that, and then combine it with your data knowledge, that is the hot recruitment area at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I think it's um it's not even knowing, and to Eddie's point as well, it's not even knowing um the intricacies of it or being able to do it yourself. My my background, I'm a software engineer and a hardware engineer, but my CTO will laugh at me based on the level of my experience in comparison to his. Really, what it gives you is an appreciation of the art of the possible. Uh, and actually, I think what that uh, kind of gives you is a, an appreciation for what other people can do and, and how they can help you. But equally, with the bad guy side of things, actually what they are, the potential is from from their point as well. So, right, right, we're going to have a quick break here and hear from our sponsors, but we'll be back very shortly to hear how can a orchestrated approach begin to solve some of these challenges and others as well.
1: Fraud and financial crime pose a constant risk to business. But counting on multiple data and solution vendors to help reduce customer risk can result in a lack of agility to adapt and grow your business. Using automation and machine learning, LexisNexis Risk Narrative is a smart, configurable customer lifecycle management platform. Seamlessly reduce risk throughout your entire customer journey with simple integration and no need for coding. Find out more at risk.lexisnexus.co.uk.
0: All right, let's get back into it. First of all, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about orchestration and what that sort of means in the context of, of this discussion. But maybe, Eddie, can we start with you? Uh,
2: can you define orchestration for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I think orchestration is a term that's bandied about quite a lot. But what does it really mean? So for us at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, it's about unification. So joining together of multiple processes into one technology layer. And in our case, for risk and compliance, that happens to be our leading product, the risk narrative platform. Through that, that enables our customers to make intelligent-led decisions based on outcomes. So there's a key difference between workflow and orchestration. So orchestration at its most basic level is around creating customer flows based upon X or Y happening, that, for me, is what we call an intelligent orchestration. That intelligent orchestration drives efficiencies, both through automation and enables a seamless customer experience or gives us the ability through orchestration to interact with that customer at the appropriate point based upon a range of risk factors. That's
0: that's interesting. And actually, just on that, that orchestration part, how much of that is down to sort of integration as well because you you're talking about the the orchestration of a workflow but the integration of all of the different elements within that as well right this isn't just a a simple process we're talking about those multiple areas of the business that are being contained so really it's putting some some structure around all of the different chaotic parts of of an organization that deal with this right
2: yeah absolutely and we touched on it um, before the break as well where we talked about Um, That skills and profile and experience of the ideal new age, you know, AML professional, that technology experience, um, as well as that domain experience. You know, those skills are actually really rare. Um, so, So the opportunity for us is to create technologies that enable our customers in one single environment, our orchestration platform, to be able to easily configure that approach. So bringing those different silos of data and insight and services together in a really easy to use technology platform so we can take away that dependency on necessarily having a deep technology mindset, but equally our platform enables us to create uh, in a no-code environment all of those different processes really easily. Very cool. Uh, Dan, what's your experience been with this? It's been really positive, uh a refreshing change, I would say.
3: Uh being able to use technology to um achieve where possible our regulatory obligations, but also I'd say more importantly, in line with our specific risk appetite. So <clears throat> what I mean by that is design various onboarding journeys configure strategies and the likes of, you know, what checks are done, when in the customer journey, which data sources are used and how I can tailor those to my specific risk appetite. And then off the back of that, automate, let's say, workflows. So if it's within a system and it's, it's reaching out to a customer, as Eddie described, at that point in time where we just need something additional from them to help them get through the onboarding process as efficiently and as quickly as possible. Um Or even just sending the, 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 you know, a platform to send the right sort of alerts to the right teams, so that when we look end to end, the right people are looking at the right level of information at the point in time which is needed, and and then once that's done, the system handles the rest of the workflow for
0: us. And I guess um, back to the point we were talking about earlier on in terms of uh, external internal forces, there's a lot of crazy things happening in the world right now and being able to respond to that uh, reasonably quickly in terms of changes to those workflows or the fundamentals of actually how that happens. I mean, having worked in a big bank myself before the processes to update those things was... um, was not not quite what you would want it to be in uh, in the, the sense of being able to react to it quickly. But how does that help in that sense in terms of being able to update across the the workflows of those things?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's all about a- amending our risk appetite and looking at the data sources available to us. So if we take for the light of you know, sanction screening or screening for PEPS, <clears throat> we have an ability to use one or more data sources or potentially you know, lots of data sources and overlay our risk appetite decision-making matrix into the, the orchestration platform so that we can react in a dynamic sense for any changes to the external environment, but also internally if we want to add, say, a new, a new sanction or a new list, let's say, or <clears throat> a new automated workflow upon identification of a potential sanction of different levels of investigation. It's just being able to automate and, and be dynamic in responding to the external environment.
0: Yeah, I I guess another challenge continually is evidencing what happened where and why, particularly from a regulatory perspective at the point of any failure. Uh, I guess those types of workflows are pretty handy for evidencing all of that in terms of this happened, why and the data source and and everything that went with it in terms of the real end-to-end of the interaction in that sense. Yeah, maintaining, uh, I guess, what we'd call a
3: single customer view um, that you can call upon at any time. To from an audit perspective, from an oversight perspective to say, you know, this this customer underwent these CDD checks uh, or or let's say at whatever point in time. And here's the outcomes. If there was alerts that were generated off those, here's the audit trail of who looked at them, what the dispositioning of them was, what evidence was provided. And just being able to, to go back to that single source of truth or single customer view is really important for us.
0: Yeah. I mean single single uh, customer view it's a, it's another big strategy I've heard it at a big bank a thousand times and nobody's ever really got got to to delivering it but billions of pounds have been spent on it but but Eddie is this the type of thing that actually helps people get to that point because I think when everybody talks about single customer view they talk about uh, consolidation of data sets, they talk about, you know, really cleansing all of that data, but but actually something sitting above all of those things to orchestrate and pull together and evidence that what is being used when, I mean, that's a very different approach to transformation in that sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, how do you define a single customer view? So how wide do you need your single customer view? And we, you know, certainly at Solutions, you know, we can view it through a number of lenses but if we think about our orchestration technology what we're creating in our platform is not the entire single customer view it is the single customer view for risk and financial crime um, I think to create and to move that outwards to create the entire uh, customer view is, is is the challenge across many many banks and You know, I always tell a joke here. I used to work at a bank um, and, you know, we we embarked on a huge project around trying to create just that, the bank-wide single customer view through building a big data environment. You know, we used to call it the swamp because you could get information in, but you couldn't get information out again. Um, So it is a huge challenge and, and where we focus on Um, at LexisNexis Risk Solutions is that single customer view from a financial crime and compliance perspective. So through the platform is that domain uh, driven approach, you know, that enables the likes of Dan and all of our other MLROs to really start to to bring that to life around all of the insights um, and decisions that have been made around how they onboard a customer, how they risk score a customer, all of the fraud risk indicators at that point, all of the insight around the ongoing monitoring and screening, and then taking that through to transactional monitoring. So having all of that rich insight in a single place, that single customer view from a FinCrime perspective, is incredibly powerful. Um, and of course, you know we do have solutions that sit across bank technologies for data cleaning to help to try and. Uh, remediate that wider single customer view as well. But from a thin crime perspective, you know, we view it through through the lens of a, a single customer view.
0: Yeah, I mean, at that point, as you say, for you know, thin crime or otherwise, then actually the benefit you can have from that in terms of the way in which you serve the customer is is pretty different in that sense. But uh, I mean, we're we're going to rapidly run out of time here, guys. I think there's probably a thousand other directions we could sort of take this conversation. But maybe it's worth a, a bit of a look forward in terms of uh, what is it that we're like. Let's not get into Ukraine or Russian sanctions or. COVID, whatever the next version of that is, that's going to be sort of jumping on us. But when it comes to uh, everything that we see from a a financial crime and compliance perspective, where where do you really see the future going what do you want the future to be and Jess i mean that's a that's a big scary topic you can kind of run on for the next 20 minutes i imagine but give us the short version what do, where do you think we're going to get to from an industry perspective is it is it the the balancing out from a technology perspective and a and a human perspective is it something beyond that uh, where do you think we're going to get to
4: i mean i don't think it's even worth talking about 10 20 years in the future because who knows what the criminals will be doing then um, but in the kind of immediate term, what we're going to be looking at in the future is, as Dan had mentioned a number of times, it's this dynamic risk assessment. So being able to immediately respond to changing risk and changing threats. So instead of waiting, I don't know a year down the line when you have a look at your customer and realize, oh wait, they were a you know a sanctioned hit nine months ago. We're not going to be in that environment at all. And there's, the regulators have absolutely no appetite to to let you do that. It's really responding dynamically to risks as they happen. And making sure as well, when you deploy your technologies to do these in a dynamic way, it's not just deploying a technology and thinking, yep, yeah, I've done it. It's all under control. It's also being able to demonstrate that you understand that technology. You can challenge it. You can test it. And you've assured it as well. So do you know what your technology is doing? So two things. Yes, risk dynamically risk assessing and making sure that you're doing that in a very rapid way, but also making sure you're in control of what your technology is doing.
0: Very cool. Completely agree, Dan. What do you think? Um, what would the ideal future look like? Uh, it's a blend
3: of um, technology enabling automation with the right skills and, and the right people to oversee that, and then thereafter, sort of fine tune your rules, um, focus on those value add activities, spend the time in investigating the real red flags.
2: Very good, Eddie. What do you think? I suggest, and Dan absolutely nailed it. Um, For me, I think we're seeing a real move towards um, acknowledgement that orchestration and orchestration technologies enables the right customer outcomes. Um, We certainly haven't got time to discuss it today, but collaboration is key. So sharing of data and insight across regulated entities. um, I think there needs to be much more of that. Um, You know, we're kind of leading the way. At Lexus in that, um, particularly around our, our, our digital intelligence network, um, billions of devices that uh, our customers can gain insight on. That's, you know, unique in how we do that. But from a more granular level around more AML focused activities, I think there's much more to be done around collaboration and information sharing.
0: Very cool. Completely agree as well. So I guess it comes back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. I mean, is AML and FinCrime and, and going to be solved by investing in people or automation? Uh, who, Jess, do you want to kind of give us the answer to that question?
4: I don't think it will ever be solved, I'm afraid. Um, but it, it it's a good first step to make sure that we are automating. We've got the right technology to spot things as they happen.
0: So it sounds like the answer is both, but invest in the right people and invest in the right technology, right? Sounds like a good conclusion to me. All right, guys, we're going to have to wrap this up because uh, we are very much out of time at this stage. Thank you so much for joining me. So where can people learn a little bit more about you and your companies? Dan? You can find me on LinkedIn and you can find GB Bank on LinkedIn.
3: And you can also find us on our website, which is gbbank.co.uk.
0: Very good. Jess?
4: Yeah, again, I'm Jessica Cath on LinkedIn and fintrail.com.
0: Very, very cool. Eddie, where can people learn a little bit more about you
2: and your company? Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Edward Vaughan, or visit our website, Risk.LexusNexus.co.uk. Very good.
0: As for me, you can always find me lurking on LinkedIn. Uh, so feel free to connect with me there. Uh, thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make it better and it also helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or FinTech Insider. Or if you really want to, you can email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.